trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome to the show. It's a gathering place for wrong thinkers, new and old. Come and find courage and camaraderie among your fellow wrong thinkers. Uh, speaking of fellow wrong thinkers, Eric Peters from epautos.com joins me. Hi, Eric. Hey, Brian. Great to be back. And you know what? Wrong thinking, I think, is getting to be back in style again. It is. It, it, it feels good to be slightly fashionable once more. Have you participated in any exorcisms lately? Uh, no, but for those who aren't familiar with, with what you're referring to, uh, I know on you have an article about how the Rona resistance is growing. Yes. And this is probably as close to a, 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 an exorcism as a lot of people are going to see. Explain what you mean by exorcism. Well, uh, it, it, it kind of flies off of the, uh, the event that occurred about a week ago at a church, I think, in Canada, where a, uh, a pastor and his congregants were attempting to have a service over Easter. And the, uh, the, the, the sickness psychotics came um, to, to, to attempt to bust the joint up for the sin of congregating and having a religious service. And this pastor wasn't having any of it. And rather than attempt to engage these mental patients in any kind of a civil discussion, he simply barked at them, get out, get out. You know, he didn't say, I cast thee out, though he should have. And his congregants joined in with that. And the crescendo built up to such a degree that the, uh, the diaper uh, enforcers turned tail, stooped-shouldered, and left the building. And there have been a number of other similar exorcisms that have occurred. I've got a couple of them up on my site, uh, including one at a bistro where a pair of these enforcers came. And once again, the people in the store and the owner said, get out, get out, and that's becoming the new refrain. And I think, uh, I, think I hope that that spreads. That's the way we deal with this, simply no longer putting up with it, telling these people to get out, get out of our stores, get out of our lives, go home, take their diapers and their mental illness and get therapy and leave us alone. It's really interesting right now in my home state of Utah, um, our mask mandate statewide lifted as of last Saturday, but it's crazy to see how many businesses and, and how many individuals and actually some mayors are saying, oh, well, well, but it's still in effect here. And in fact, Salt Lake's mayor, I think mm -hmm. it's Aaron Mendenhall, uh, she's still threatening, yes, we will fine you and jail you if, if you're caught violating this mask mandate. It's like they can't, well, they can't let go. Well, they don't want to let go. There's simply too much power and control for them in this. It's unprecedented. It's given them virtually dictatorial powers. Uh, not only over businesses, but over individuals who, free, who previously exercised the right to be able to go outside and walk around. And now even that right is being circumscribed by these people. And it's enough. And I think it's time that we start to think about uh, calling them on some of their BS. Um, for example, you might remember, uh, this was an early exorcism. A few months ago, there was a grocery store in Florida where uh, the owner did not make his employees wear the diaper and there was no diaper policy, and he was very open about it and said, I don't believe in this, and I don't think people who, who wish to come into my store, and that's key, nobody's being forced to come into his store, uh, are free to wear the thing uh, or not if they wish. Well, there was a big media hullabaloo and, uh, you know, much, much uh, oh, the humanity cries about the super-spreading store and all these people. 
Of course, it fell off the radar like all of these other events have because nobody did get sick. Nobody died. If they had, if they could point to that, you know they would have, and they've had to drop this. So at some point, I think it's incumbent upon us who can still think and who have a memory that's greater than that of a goldfish to say, <laughs> wait a minute, you said that everybody was going to die if these, these people dared to show their face and congregated and, and, and went about their business normally. But they didn't. And not only didn't they, this has been the case in every single one of these cases, from the rally in Sturgis, the motorcycle rally last year, uh, to everything that's happened everywhere else around the country, Trump's rallies, for example. They're at these so-called super-spreader events have spread absolutely nothing. So at what point do we say, you know what, the emperor has no clothes. It's time to stop uh, having our lives ruined on account of the, the derangement of people who think that the naked, naked emperor has, is wearing a fine suit of clothes. I've watched with a lot of interest this last week, uh, actually just the last few days, as uh, I'm putting this in air quotes, experts are scratching their heads over how is it that Michigan, with one of the tightest lockdown uh, policies in the nation, is also experiencing the worst outbreak of COVID in the nation, while places like Texas and Mississippi and Florida and others that are wide open now are continuing to see their numbers drop. And the best response I've seen so far is, well, you know, these experts seem to be stumped. And and someone pointed Mm -hmm. out they're just not familiar with reality. Right. And, you know, it's even deeper than that, because when we say outbreak, we have to define what we're talking about if we want to be rational and sane about it. And I I wrote about this the other day about the importance of distinguishing between uh, what is called a case popularly in the media and a medical case. It used to be understood in the medical community. My dad is a doctor, was a doctor, and so is my grandfather, that a case in medical terms meant something that was clinically significant, meaning you were sick enough that you needed medical attention. That was what was considered a case until this whole hysteria began. Now, a case is simply, well, you tested positive for something on, a, on a, an extremely unreliable test, by the way. You don't have to have any symptoms, much less need any medical attention. And that's, that's presented and pervaded to people as a case with the implication that people are actually getting sick and dying when, in fact, the vast majority of people who are, quote-unquote, cases don't even have symptoms. Well, the, the tug of war seems to be intensifying, even as, as many of the mandates are starting to lift, even as the resistance is starting to grow. It seems like the, the folks who need that control are, are doing their best mm-hmm. to double down. What do you see on the horizon? I mean, what, what's the next tactic to keep us afraid and therefore off balance? Well, they're going to continue to amp up the cases, of course, and now they're doing it with a new spin. The variants, the variants, you right. probably heard that. Yep. Uh, and they're going to continue to do this for the same reason that Hitler in his bunker wasn't going to uh, sign any surrender papers and, and went down and tried to drag down as much of Germany with him as he could. And these people are going to do the same. They're never going to let go of this. Uh, they are fundamentally dishonest, in my opinion, fundamentally evil people. Rand Paul did a good job of, of calling out Pope Fauci the 18th a couple of weeks ago, uh, who was he's wearing double diapers despite the fact that this man uh, has had the vaccine, which we're told uh, makes you immune from the Rona. So, you know, he's trying to scare people. He's a doctor. He knows better. He's trying to terrify people. And why is he doing that? Because it enhances his power. It elevates him to a position of authority where, oh, my gosh, we must listen to the Holy Pope. And that's what all of these people are doing. They're using fear to, to cow people into submission. And that's despicable. I think that, you know, it's important that we start to get angry about what these people are doing to us, and they're doing it deliberately. Well, I, I'm with you there. 
I'm I, I'm probably not going to be one who's going to join in the shouting of get out, but I admire people who have found the gumption to stand up. I, I prefer a little gentler approach. That's just me. But uh, but at some point we got to put our foot down. And I think the pastor, for instance, that you referenced, uh, who exercised you know the police from his his church. Yep. Totally did the right thing, and I don't know. Did you see the video of of another church in uh, I believe it was in Edmonton, Alberta, where two hundred police with helicopter yeah, support, riot and, police with and, body armor and everything, yep, built a fence around a church yep. that, in order to keep people from gathering because Rona. But you know that that illustrates the stakes uh, that we're playing for here, and it's not a game. Uh, and it's not to be taken lightly. And if we don't push back against that, that's our dark and bleak future. And that's why I'm, I, you know, I'm determined to never put on that holy rag myself and never have. And I will be willing to scream, get out, and stand up to any sickness psychotic. I have uh, let it be known to several people who are in my orbit that own businesses that I will stand there by their side, and I will do that if it comes down to it, because it's that important that we snatch back the moral high ground and our liberty from these, these people who are out of their minds, and more importantly, the people who are behind the pushing of people out of their minds with this weaponized hypochondria. It was interesting. Uh, yesterday I saw a story from one of the news channels here where I live um, about, oh, business owners are just struggling. What do we do? Do we keep mm-hmm. the mask requirement for our customers or not? And, oh, they have to walk such a thin line. And, and my response was, you're overthinking this. All they have to do is be mask neutral, meaning let those right. who want to wear the mask wear the mask, and those who don't, let them choose for themselves. That's not hard. Well, no, it's not hard, but it is hard politically, and that is why these mask mandates came down. If they had never come down, half or more of the people would never would have worn them, and that would have, would, would have made it very difficult to create and maintain the hysteria, the visual of hysteria that has successfully been created. And that's why these people who are behind it all are so determined to make sure it is never let down because they want people to be terrified because they want the control that comes uh, from the terrorizing of the population. Yes, it's the pathological need for control. Eric, we're, we're up against the break here. Let's take a quick uh, timeout. When we come back, uh, we've got a couple other things we'd like to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the vaccine, since uh, moment, okay. momentum is building for vaccine passports. I, I'm sure uh, you, like me, will enthusiastically embrace getting the jab so that we can return to normal, right? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> sure. We'll take a quick break. Eric Peters is my guest. Stay with us, please. is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. We talk a lot about uh, some of the things that have been going on over the last year and how some have snowballed, some are starting to recede. But, uh, Eric, i got to tell you, there's, mm-hmm. there's few things that concern me as much right now as, as the trend I'm seeing toward vaccine passports. Uh, give me your take on, on mm-hmm. where we well, are and where this is taking us. Yes, I'm extremely concerned, as any right-thinking person should be concerned, because uh, they're talking about erecting a digital-age version of the Soviet internal passport, where 
you can't essentially leave your home for all practical purposes without the permission and monitoring of the state, which will in this case be done electronically. They will limit your ability to work, uh, to travel, to transact business unless you submit to carrying with you a digital passport of some sort showing ostensibly your your vaccinated status, but in fact just to keep you tracked and keep you monitored and to make sure that you have zero privacy. We've had lots of issues with privacy since the dawn of the Internet age, but this will mean the end of it forever. And it's an enormously, frighteningly ominous and dangerous thing. Um, they have such a system in China, and uh, you know, I wonder whether Americans really want to live uh, in a system such as China has, where uh, the government can at any time uh, lock you down, uh, lock you down both physically and economically. If you, if you commit an act of wrong think in China, they simply turn off your ability to transact business. You can't buy a, a ticket for an airplane. You can't buy a ticket for a high-speed train. Uh, you can't even get on a bus, as I understand it. And, uh, you know, if they manage to get rid of cash and make it all digital, they can lock up your funds, all of this. This is what this, this managerial technocratic elite has wanted for decades. And those of us who have memories longer than that of a goldfish have, could, could have seen this coming. Um, the, the, the vaccine wasn't created for the virus. Uh, the vaccine, uh, the, the virus was created to, to, to make sure that everybody gets this vaccine in their digital age passport. Okay, serious question here, Eric. Mm-hmm. How is it that so few people can see or can recognize that the cures we're being offered are far worse than the disease? The, well, there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, some of it is simply that people can't do basic math anymore and they can't think anymore. Here we have, on the one hand, uh, a very low risk for most of us with regard to the Rona. If you don't fall into one of these high-risk categories, e.g. you're, you're not elderly uh, and you don't have some serious problem with heart disease or uh, respiratory disease already that makes you vulnerable, you have essentially a nil chance of dying from the Rona. It's something like 99.8 to 99 point something percent chance of recovery. That's assuming that you even get sick. So that's known. That's a fact. That's a specific data point. Whereas now we've got this vaccine, and nobody really knows what the risk is. We can't because it hasn't been tested on human beings. This is something that is experimental, that has been rushed, rushed, rushed to market. And uh, the repercussions of it, uh, we'll only find out about them after you take the jab. You remember when they told us about, well, you have to vote for the Patriot Act or whatever it was, and then you can read it after you vote for it. Uh, That's kind of of what they're pushing on us. And I don't understand uh, the, the... the, the thought process of somebody who isn't in one of those categories of people who uh, stand to get ronaed from the rona, who is willing to let a, a substance of, of unknown origin with unknown side effects be put into their body. We had a case of this that you and I talked about a little bit off the air. There's a CNN analyst who's recently died. Her name was Medwin Charles. She was only 47 years old. And she was one of the most ardent pushers of, uh, of the vaccine. Well, she got her vaccine in March, and she just died. Now, of course, maybe that's coincidental, but it's highly unusual for a 47-year-old otherwise healthy woman to just up and die. And, you know, we have the data point of, well, she got this vaccine. And we know for a fact that there are lots of people who are having issues with it. And even the governments of some countries are beginning to have issues with it. I think it's the Pfizer jab that's, that's uh, apparently causing blood clots in people, and so they've stopped using it. And I think the AstraZeneca one also has some issues. But the, the broader point is, what, what, what person of sound mind is going to just allow themselves to be shot up with something that will do God knows what to their body based on a, a, a risk of .00 something that they might die from a virus they probably won't even get? 
the part I'm struggling to understand is I can understand people being fearful and, and reluctantly going, well, I, I want to be safe, and so I'm going to go ahead and get the vaccine. But it's like some aren't even reluctant. I mean, you've seen the vaccine selfies that are all the rage. You know, oh, look sure. at me. I got mine. And you get media figures like a Brian Stelter from CNN actually sure. activate, being an activist and, and, and chiding other media hosts. Why aren't you showing your vaccine selfies? That feels like something else is at work here than, you know, sound, you know, judgment on a medical decision that each of us must make. Well, it's an extrapolation of the same virtue signaling that is manifest by the wearing of the holy rag, uh, multiple holy rags even. It's not rational. It's an expression of a religious mania, of an irrational fervor. And that really is what we have to somehow treat in this country, the problem of not dealing with things in terms of the facts and making logical, reasonable decisions based on facts but instead being driven by emotions, fear, hysteria, and irrational, ecstatic joy. Oh, look at me. I got my vaccine. Well, that's just great. Let's hope it doesn't kill you. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't want to rain on their parade, but of all the things that I would celebrate in my life, that's really not the one, unless this is just about trying to find comfort in the herd and get other people. Look, look, you know, me too, me too. Well, it is, and it's astounding to me that, that the medical authorities aren't coming out and saying something. Of course, the medical authorities are another cartel, but my point is simply this. This vaccine is analogous to, and it, it is, in fact, an experimental treatment. That's specifically what it is. Now, it's one thing to, to, to try an experimental treatment when you are about to die, when you've been given a, a, a diagnosis that you have a terminal illness and other less extreme measures have been tried and haven't worked, and really you've got nothing left and well, what the heck, I've got nothing to lose for that reason. So I'm going to go ahead and try this experimental treatment, and hopefully that will save me. But that's not the case here. We're talking about injecting healthy people, people who don't have any real problems and people who aren't likely to have any problems from the Rona with an experimental drug. That's just bizarre to me. I mean, I have, as, as, as the, uh, the robot from Lost in Space used to say, it does not compute. I don't get it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you there. We're, we're down to just a couple of minutes left here, Eric. Let's shift gears here. Um, tell me some good news. Let's, let's shift to things automotive. Um, this is a big part of, uh, of what you cover on your, your website, mm -hmm. ericpetersautos.com. What's come across your radar screen lately that was, was notable? Well, uh, this is bittersweet. Uh, last week, I got to test drive the new Ram TRX, which is uh, adopting my best Mel Gibson Road Warrior vo voice, the last of the V8 interceptors. <laughs> you know, this, this is a big Ram truck with a supercharged 6.2 V8, 700-plus horsepower. Wow. Uh, it represents all that is fabulous about vehicles and what made Americans fall in love with cars once upon a time. Uh, such a fantastic vehicle, and unlike, say, a high-performance sports car, here you've got a vehicle that can run the quarter mile as quickly as a Corvette that you can go to Lowe's and pick up a pallet of bricks with, too, or tow your boat behind you if you want to. It's, it's nothing short of miraculous, and, and it's just the kind of thing that we used to take for granted, but that's been systematically uh, the targeted for extermination by these same people, these same people who are pushing the sickness psychosis, the diapers, and the passport vaccines, who are trying to turn America into a, a kind of technological version of the old Soviet Union, where we're all nice little proles, we're all wearing nice same uniforms, and we're standing in line to get our daily bread before we go back to our proletarian apartments. It's horrible. You know, and 
that's you know so it makes me happy that that vehicle still exists but this, what it makes me sad is that it's one of a few chests that are left and if if the trends don't alter that vehicle is also going to be put on the uh, the pyre and burned and we're going to be left with nothing other than these 40,000 plus electric cars which I also wrote about recently Oh, speaking of electric cars, I'm sorry, we're down to the last few seconds here, but I saw mm-hmm. the electric Mustang abomination for the first yeah. time. And as a Mustang owner, I don't know. It, I, well, it's a Mustang like I'm a dwarf. It's a four-door electric <laughs> crossover. Yeah, and it was, I mean, look, I, I get EVs are happy time for some people, but it was just so ugly. Oh, well, another topic for another time. <laughs> we'll talk about that next time. Eric, thank you so much. You bet, Brian. Talk soon. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Now, I got to warn you, I'm about to head into some dangerous territory. I just, I'm telling you this ahead of time, so when you hear the thin ice underneath our feet starting to crack... I don't want you to spook, or at least if you do spook, I want you to, you know, have a clear direction of where you're going to run. So I don't know, you've probably heard, I know I have heard uh, comparisons between masks and now the vaccine passports and, and essentially, you know, remember how the Nazis used to require the Jews to, to wear the yellow star of David on their clothing, right? They had to identify themselves because, well, for public safety, of course, we were just trying to protect the people from, you know, a menace from within. And I've heard these comparisons, and personally, I don't think that they're that over the top, but boy, some people get really upset. I saw this article from Thomas L. Knapp on everythingvoluntary.com. And it's not that he's upset, but he does take a pretty good analysis here and, and a pretty good approach on vaccine passports in the Holocaust and asks, is this an invalid comparison? One of the more prominent examples, by the way, of of umbrage that came about because of someone making this comparison was back on March 29th when the Libertarian Party of Kentucky sent a tweet that aroused considerable controversy, not least among partisan libertarians themselves. And they did that by asking the question, are the vaccine passports going to be yellow, shaped like a star, and sewn on our clothes? Now, Kentucky Governor Andy Beshear called the tweet shameful. He implied it was anti-Semitic. I don't know why people go there. It's the it's the Holocaust that they're <clears throat> that they're condemning, not the Jews. But hey, okay. Rabbi Shlomo Litvin called the comparison morally wrong, but treated it kindly as part of a widespread habit of using Holocaust comparisons to make literally any political point you want to make. So was the tweet over the top? Thomas L. Knapp says, well, maybe. Was the tweet anti-Semitic? He says, I don't know, ask the Jewish protesters in Israel who equate that country's vaccine passport scheme not only with the yellow star of David badges forced on Jews by the Nazis, but also with death camp prisoner tattoos. So was the comparison valid? To some degree, yes. Early on, the Nazis used a public health excuse for the targeting of Jews and the imposition of patches. Jews, they said, spread typhus 
They needed to be identified so others could avoid them and stay healthy. So, yes, that supposed public health concern was completely false. Now, the notion that COVID-19 represents a permanent existential threat to humanity that we can never return to normal again and that those who choose not to get vaccinated represent a significant danger to those who choose to get vaccinated, that's completely false, too. Thomas Knapp points out novel viruses hit humankind hard occasionally, then recede as we learn to treat them and vaccinate for them, and they weaken through mutation. No sane society completely remakes itself around them. Supporters of vaccine passports tout them as a way to allow us to do things as, like attend concerts or sporting events. He says we've never needed health-based government permission to do those things before. There's no compelling argument we should be required to seek such permission in the future. Vaccine passports aren't needed, passports rather, aren't needed to allow things. That's because they're not designed to include. They're designed to exclude. That's a pretty good point. They're designed to do something with a long history that includes, yes, the Holocaust. So even if it's not a complete apples-to-apples comparison, the bottom line is those vaccine passports are designed to ghettoize, in other words, to put in or restrict to an isolated or segregated place, group, or situation. I think he's right. That's a fair comparison. Absent government involvement, he says if a business doesn't want to accept unvaccinated customers or any other kind of customers, well, that's their business. But they should shoulder the cost themselves instead of asking governments to create and impose uniform identification schemes for them. He says a federal vaccine passport would create yet another government surveillance tool. Ding, 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 ding. That's, uh, this is why we should be paying attention. It would also inevitably be used by local governments to legally exclude the unvaccinated from particular types of businesses, such as nightclubs or particular expressions of public life like youth sports and quite possibly entire zones of public commerce like large shopping shopping centers, all in the name of public health. And the scheme wouldn't end with COVID-19. It would be continually repurposed and possibly made permanent. All valid concerns. Thomas Knapp says, I'd like to see everyone choose to get vaccinated, but we should all be opposed to forcibly ghettoizing those who don't. I don't know if you've seen much drama in your life over the vaccine. <clears throat> I personally have chosen not to get it. And if people ask, well, why don't you want it? Why are you, <clears throat> sorry, why are you refusing the vaccine? My, uh, my answer is, hey, I, I am part of the control group. So I take that seriously. I, you know, in order to be part of the control group, I've got to be one of those who remains unvaccinated. It may not satisfy some, but at least for, for others, it's like, oh, oh, okay. I guess, I guess that must be all right. But the bottom line is this. We each have a choice to make. And I don't think this is the kind of thing that can be forced upon a person. Um, and I, look, it's this, this whole availability bias, I know that uh, the adverse reactions are probably quite rare. I don't know what the percentage is out of a thousand people vaccinated, this many may suffer some kind of vaccine injury. But I do regularly see stories of people who have had not just adverse, but very adverse uh, reactions to the vaccine. And I'm not saying, therefore, everybody should stop doing it. I'm just saying we have to weigh the risks against the benefits. 
And for some people, myself included, those risks right now just don't seem worth it. The crazy thing to me is, you know, even people who've had the vaccine are being told, now, this doesn't mean that you can go around unmasked or that you shouldn't be socially distancing or that you shouldn't, you know, be doing this and that. In other words, yeah, you get the vaccine. You've, you've, uh, you've completed this, uh, this, check bo- or this check mark on the uh, badge of compliance, but it doesn't really do much. The idea is that there's still someone trying to hold it over your head and trying to uh, use it as a condition of, well, if you do this, then maybe we'll let you do more. Since when do they have that authority in the first place? By what moral authority can they prevent that? Well, now, Brian, somebody might be sick, and I get that. Somebody might. So where's the proof? Do we just treat everybody as presumptively ill, or ought there be some kind of due process? See, I know that there are folks who believe that everything changes, though. This is so dangerous. We just, we can't afford not to take the worst possible approach. And I think that's what every tyrant throughout history has always said as they implemented whatever tyrannical scheme they were trying to get in place. Sorry, I don't want to do this, but things are so desperate, we just have to. We have no other choice. And as I've been pointing out for the last year, it's not that we have no other choice. It's more often that they choose not to see any other choice. I got to force you. Sorry, but that's just the way that it is. All I can advise is be careful, be informed, but make the choice yourself. Some people think that it's, you know, irresponsible not to take COVID more seriously. Come on, this, this isn't the Boy Scouts. We're saving lives when, it, when people get this, uh, this shot. Maybe it is. Then again, maybe not. But when we start to make living any kind of a productive life conditional on falling in line and, and jumping in with the rest of the herd, I don't know, something feels terribly wrong about that. And, and I'm certainly open to the idea, maybe I'm the one who's wrong here. Maybe I will rue the day that I chose not to get the vaccination. It's not so much that I know for a fact that vaccination isn't going to do a thing for me. I don't know that. What I do know is there are people who seem very intent on forcing it on me, and that in and of itself is enough for me to say, hold up there, partner. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to go that direction. If I'm going to have the vaccine, it's going to be because I voluntarily chose to do so and not because someone twisted my arm or figuratively held a gun to my head and said, you need to get this. Think about the leverage that's being applied here. I saw a post uh, yesterday on Twitter saying it's beginning, and I believe it was in... Uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, no, Western Pennsylvania. Somebody had posted a sign at their gym. This is a private uh, gymnasium, but they said, uh, hey, if you, have, if you can't show your uh, vaccination records, if you can't show proof of vaccination, sorry, but you can't use our facility. Now, I understand. That's, well, that's private business, Brian, and that's, you know, how, that's how those business owners feel, so they ought to be free to make that call. Largely, I would agree, but uh, here's, the, here's the gray area for me. When a private business is partnering with government to further government objectives, are they really still a private business? I know, it's, it, it's kind of a shady area. That's why I bring it up. But I think that's a question worth exploring because 
Maybe they're not acting in a purely private capacity. Just something to think about. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show, my fellow wrong thinkers. Okay, we're going deep down the rabbit hole, so uh, hang on. I know that uh, most of us have have picked up on the idea that uh, nearly everything today is being viewed through the lens of political correctness. And maybe you've wondered, hey, how did we get here? Is this something that we arrived at by reason and by people, you know, coming to this conclusion over years of thoughtful deliberation? Or is there something else at work here? Well, I found an excellent article on intellectualtakeout.org. This is from Kenneth Lefebvre. How racism became the worst possible sin. And I think he has a take worth considering here. Kenneth Lefebvre says, Given cancel culture's daily attacks on anyone and everyone who exhibits the slightest deviation from anti-racist norms, one suspects it was calumny that gave up the ghost and handed over the title of worst sin ever. The new title holder is the fuzzily conceived concept that the slightest hint of discrimination, mockery, or even simple generalization directed at a person of color by a Caucasian is tantamount to sin against the Holy Spirit. You know, no forgiveness in this world or the world to come. He says, I recently discussed the now famous Nick Sandman incident of a few years ago with a liberal friend in which a Native American was filmed singing and playing the drum into Sandman's face on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Now, he says, my friend conceded, yes, the original interpretation claiming Sandman deliberately put himself in the path of the Native American man so he could smirk at him was factually wrong. Video revealed Sandman was standing in place when the Native American charged up to him and began his concert. And Sandman's smirk was nothing more than a bemused response to the ludicrous situation. And yet, he says, my friend concluded the incident was not so clear cut because film of the event showed Sandman's schoolmates in the background delivering tomahawk chops. Those teenagers were mocking Native Americans with a humorous stereotype, or so goes the allegation. That made them guilty of racism, an evil far worse than mere deceit, such as the media's misleading report of the event, and much more despicable than the destruction of a young man's reputation based on a lie. Now, Kenneth Lefebvre says a shocking number of people will take that last sentence seriously. It is uniformly held by the left that racism holds the title of worst sin ever, even when it's expressed by kids via a cultural stereotype. But even many conservatives assume this to be true. Laura Ingram, in an offhand comment the other night on her Fox News show, referred to some event as worse than racism, if there is such a thing. He says, I recently heard another conservative media personality raging against someone who had called him a racist, and that's the worst thing you can be, he added. Kenneth Lefebvre asks, is it really? Obviously, it's idiotic to judge people as members of a race or ethnic group rather than as individuals. Yes, racism has led to murder and destruction every bit as much as deceit, betrayal, and calumny have. But it's not the sole sin by which we judge all actions. Like other ungenerous attitudes, racism can turn deadly when it it leads to hate, illustrations of which can be found in the histories of most peoples. But in most instances, currently cited by the politically correct, the racism is simply imputed and may not exist at all. 
He says, in our current climate, eating chop suey, an American dish made in imitation of Chinese food and deliberately given a silly name, could be construed as a jibe against Chinese culture and therefore be deemed a racist act. But is eating this dish really an act of moral turpitude? Someone who puts on blackface for a party is showing bad taste, but nothing more. And a writer who uses the terminology of his time, as Mark Twain used the N-word in Huckleberry Finn, is hewing to aesthetic realism. An acquaintance who works for American Express tells him that the company recently issued a language guideline including a prohibition on the phrase black and white. He says, I can assure you that American Express, uh, I can assure American Express that until they issued that prohibition, none of its employees, whatever their color, had ever associated that phrase with racism. He says, a person betrayed sees betrayal everywhere. A person deceived is unlikely to trust. And a society racked with racial division may find the words black and white, as well as a host of other irrelevant phrases, to be racist. But he says it's the business of all well-intentioned individuals to recognize this as reaction, not reason, and to stop looking for racism everywhere. That's some really solid advice. I'll have a link to this in the show notes, which you can check out at thebrianhideshow.com. One more thought I wanted to share with you. Uh, I, you know, I don't take Biden's um, executive actions against gun owners very seriously. I mean, he's not a legislator. He really doesn't have that much power. He's ordering various bureaucracies. See what you can do to make this, you know, difficult or make this uh, tougher for gun owners. But this much I do know: nothing that Biden has proposed is in any way going to prevent bad things from happening. Criminals, by definition, won't obey the law in the first place. And by the way, killing mass numbers of people, you know, public, you know, shootings and uh, active shooter situations, totally illegal anyway. It's not about stopping gun violence. It's about disarming people legally. And history has shown that leads to some pretty dark places, even darker than where that uh, Star of David pinned on your sleeve led. Because that's not the only Holocaust that ever took place. Here's what Kent McManigal has to say about old bad old Joe Badden's executive actions against gun owners. He says domestic enemy and anti-gun bigot, criminal Joe Biden, probably under the control of his emotional support pig, has announced executive actions on guns. By the way, uh, Kent is clearly no fan of Joe Biden. <laughs> he lies and says it's about gun violence. It's not. It's about violating every ethical gun owner. He lies and says this doesn't violate the Second Amendment, that no amendment is absolute. Huh, so you feel that way about the 19th Amendment? Just asking. What he means is he believes no right is absolute. But Ken McMangle says Joe Biden's wrong. The truth is rights can either be respected or violated. There is no third option. You can't really get more absolute than that. Whether or not a right is explicitly listed in a constitutional amendment is irrelevant. The Ninth Amendment covers all those anyway. Yes, all rights come with responsibility, but Biden can't choose or add on to what that responsibility will entail. The responsibility remains the same always, and that is the responsibility to not arcade. Arcade is the initiation of government violence against peaceful individuals. It's a word I had to learn, but I I should probably be using it a little bit more. Ken McManigal says nothing Biden can say or do can change this in the slightest way. And in fact, by doing what he is doing, He's grievously violated his responsibility. 
He's stepping beyond what he has a right to do. He has become, well, he's been for decades, the aggressor, the bad guy, much worse than any mass shooter or freelance murderer. He's taking sides with the mass murderers and freelance murderers who will be empowered by his actions all at your expense. And this will cost innocent lives. Ken McManigle says, remember, executive actions are not executive orders. And executive orders are not legislation. Legislation isn't law, and law can never violate a natural human right, such as the right to own and carry weapons. If it violates a natural human right, it isn't law. Not only that, he put a monstrous anti-gun bigot with the blood of Waco on its filthy claws in charge of the unconstitutional, unethical, and criminal BATFE gang. He says, this feels like a declaration of war to me. Now, you aren't obligated to comply with any of this, and you have the ethical right to defend yourself from those who try to impose it on you. Listen to this next part. No, it won't be safe or easy. Doing the right thing rarely is. Kent also points out, if you hold out hope that good cops will refuse to enforce his evil will, you are out of touch with reality. He says, a better hope may come from the record number of new first-time gun owners that have been created in the past year or so. He says, I have my doubts that they just spent all that money to give away their new guns if or when ordered to do so, but you never know. So this could be the dusk of some coming dark times, or it could be the dark before the storm that washes away evil parasites like Joe Biden. But he says, the way this goes is up to you and me. Now, interestingly enough, there are some remedies that that are starting to come forward. I saw that I I used to live in in Cedar City, which is in Iron County, Utah. And I saw where the Iron County Commission yesterday passed a a resolution that recognizes that when it comes to uh, helping to enforce or enable the enforcement of certain federal laws that would violate people's natural rights within that county, County officials will not go along with it. That means their sheriff is being directed. You're not going to go out there and enforce anti-Second Amendment laws. Well, it must be nice to pick and choose what laws you want to obey and what you don't. Look, you've got to understand, much of what we call laws today are simply words on paper. Some of them are legislation. Some of them are simply a politician's musings written down and and expected to be carried out as if Pharaoh himself spoke it. If it's immoral, though, you have a choice. You don't have to comply. And in fact, sometimes the good people throughout history have been the ones who disobeyed immoral laws. Think about it. This is The Brian Hyde Show.